On this episode of The Glue Guys, your favorite Brooklyn Nets podcast, I am joined by Ian Eagle, the Yes Network's Nets play-by-play maestro. We talk about the difference in vibe around the Nets this season as the ones previously. We talk about Kyrie Irving, what Ian has viewed Kyrie Irving so far this season. Talk a little bit about Kevin Durant and more about your Brooklyn Nets. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Brian is with me as well. We just wanted to do a small little addition to the Iron Eagle interview that is a part of our feed today and part of this episode today. Uh, after we recorded, we got some news about Kyrie Irving that he re-aggravated his shoulder. And Brian and I just wanted to kind of dive in and give some quick thoughts about it. And at the end, you will still hear the interview with Iron Eagle right at the end of this, about the five-minute mark of this episode. This is a story that I felt like we've dealt with a couple of times already so far this season. But again, injury concerns for Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's uh, injured shoulder has flared up again, and we have no clue when he may come back. Um, Give me a concern level ranking for you on this. Are you devastated or mildly interested in waiting to see what's going to happen? Oh, I hate to admit that I'm mildly devastated. Um (laughs) But he couldn't, he couldn't stay away from the from the whiffle ball. That's because that's how you get a, an impingement. That's how you get bursitis. It's throwing a, a ball that's too late. It, um, it, is that actually the? That's how it happens. Yeah, beer um, pong and whiffle ball. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah. Long distance beer pong. Um, yeah, no. It's uh, it's an eight point five out of ten on the devastation meter. Um, Ouch. Because we're getting near a time. Well, I don't know. Is it is it arthroscopic surgery time, Mike? You tell me. I don't know. We're not. You're not supposed to be pumping cortisone in your shoulder day in and day out, are you, Mike? Well, so well, this is to give a little background on this. Uh, Kyrie was out. What was it? About twenty games for this shoulder impingement that we did not know. Uh, that much about and Kyrie gave before he came back most recently from the injury about a week before he gave a pretty dramatic uh, sort of press availability with media members from the Nets uh, talking about I don't know if this is ever going to heal I don't know if I'm going to play again essentially for the rest of the season and then only a few days later after that he cleaned up those remarks he was very positive and then he in fact did come back and play basketball and the first few games he came back, he was amazing, and I felt, okay, so we're we're all fine. And then we head into the All-Star break, and Kyrie's out with a knee injury, which thankfully wasn't as bad as it seemed at the time. And now we're back to Nets are practicing again, Kyrie Irving is not practicing again, and he's going to look at a new specialist. He's going to a new specialist, apparently, in the Phoenix area to look at the shoulder, which is concerning because... I don't know about you, but the more opinion someone gets on a medical situation, mm. the more that you, as outside observers, it seems like they don't know exactly what's going on and what is wrong. And the fact that he re-aggravated it when he really wasn't playing basketball, maybe he was practicing in some way, it's a, it's a big concern. I'm also at 8.5 on the concern oh, uh, rating my, scale. <laughs> stole my rating, huh? <laughs> um, but can I, I will say one thing. So there's uh, some debate about the fact that 
you know, like we may not see Kyrie Irving again for the season. And at this point, as we're recording this, we do not know that. But what we do know is that there have been an increase in social media videos, I think sanctioned by Kevin Durant, showing Kevin Durant making real progress in his rehab. And I can only think about the fact that, you know, we go into this season knowing that, hey, the Nets have Kyrie Irving. They may not have Kevin Durant. And now we may be in a situation where the Nets have Kevin Durant, but they don't have Kyrie Irving because, again, Durant's rehab process, as shown through social media videos via his brother and a very close friend, showed Durant making all the basketball moves that you really want to see him make. Um, It's been rather impressive as Durant gets inches closer to maybe returning. I'll tell you this, Mike. His return is inextricably linked to Kyrie Irving's health, okay? Let me yes. just tell you that right now. There's not a world in which Kevin Durant comes back and Kyrie Irving is shut down for his season. And, and that here first. Obviously, this season has been just waiting for Kevin Durant, and it's it's been this weird transition season. It's seeing which players fit with Kyrie, and then hopefully we pick out the ones that do, and then those guys hopefully then also fit with Kevin Durant. It would be a real letdown if we end up learning that Kevin Durant could have played but because of Kyrie's health, which would be understandable if Kyrie is not playing, that the Nets would not also then choose to put Kevin Durant back out there on the floor. Um, but again, if you want to look for positives, we're all about positives here on the Glue Guys. Uh, Kevin Durant is looking quite spry uh, on social media, Bry. I'm waiting for some dunks, Mike. That's the only thing I need to see next, some dunkage. And we're still waiting on more information about Kyrie Irving. And when we get that, Brian and I will be back potting together. Maybe an emergency pod. Hopefully not a negative emergency pod. But we'll be back together talking about Kyrie, how his injury may impact the Nets, how long he may be out, depending on when we get that information. But coming up right now is my interview with Ian Eagle, where we talk about Kyrie and his impact on the Nets so far this season. So we'll just jump right into it, if that's okay. Yeah, I wouldn't want it any other way. I just want one continuation of our conversation. That's <laughs> in, what keeps it natural. In bits and parts. and so In bits and parts. So I want to stop and start and uh, pause for eight minutes and come back to it. So we were talking a second ago, and you're talking about Mike Fratello. But I was wondering, that got me thinking, who was the first sort of you know commentator, color analyst that you called games with? Not at Syracuse. But who is the, the first professional person sitting next to you in a booth talking basketball? First one was Mike O'Corin when I got hired in 1994, former Net, former North Carolina star, great guy. And I was really fortunate to be paired with him because he knew the ropes. He was very respectful of that line between radio, TV world, and basketball world. So when it came to getting on the plane and hotel, he was the right guy to follow. He just understood how it all worked. So I worked with him for a year. We had a great year together, became really close friends, uh, created instant chemistry. Then I got the TV job the next year, and it was Bill Raftery and Jim Spinarkle who were splitting the duties. Raph was doing 50 games. Jimmy was doing 30-plus. And that was a whole different experience on the TV side. But but definitely taught me a lot about partnership and about how viewers and listeners judge you as a pair, not necessarily as individuals. I think 
most of the time, instinctually, people, they want to either like the two of you or not like the two of you. And it resonated with me very early that that was really important, that the teamwork side of it had to come through. And if it didn't, then that's when the audience could tune out. Is there a moment that you, It was there a big moment when you maybe had gotten negative criticism? Is there a moment that stands out to you that made you realize, wow, this is, there's a lot of people watching, or there's a moment when you sort of realize that this team aspect of broadcasting, it matters to the degree that you're talking about now? Well, it's interesting because mid-90s, the Nets were not very good first of all, and in the New York landscape, sports landscape, they were not a huge factor. So I got to experiment a lot without the scrutiny of constant criticism. And because Bill was so seasoned and so good at the job, I did learn a lot just being next to him of being yourself and authentic and also being excited about the games, even though the Nets weren't very good on the court, I thought the broadcasts were really good because Bill and I connected well and the friendship came through. So I think it was based more on the fact that we were enjoying ourselves and I realized that that was a really important part of the equation. When the team actually got good, Calipari's second year, made the playoffs, I noticed that people were paying a little bit more attention. Then they dipped again, and then the Jason Kidd era, everything changed. People were absolutely now watching these games and forming opinions on on the broadcasts. And that was a little bit new. You know, I remembered when I had started with the Nets, I must have been three or four years into the job. So we're talking about you know, 97, 98, 99, in that range. And I would go to a local pizza place, and the guy would say, hey, Iron Eagle, right? I'd say, hey, how you doing? I'd say, yeah, I loved you on FAN, man. I'd like, oh, thank you so much. What do you do now? I was like, oh, I, I sell insurance. I'm, uh, I completely <laughs> changed my typical job. They, nobody was really paying attention. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm on television and I'm doing an NBA team and it wasn't necessarily standing out in the market like I perceived that it would. When the Nets started winning, that, that definitely changed a bit. Yeah, and I wonder, so I wanted to ask you about this because I've felt that the energy around this team is certainly different. Obviously, the scrutiny around the team because Kyrie Irving's on the team and Kevin Durant is rehabbing on the team is different. The energy is different than it had been in the previous few seasons under Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson because Mm -hmm. as opposed to this nice sort of uh, growth template for the NBA, now this team is supposed to, because of who they have on the team, it's supposed to contend or will contend hopefully when Kevin Durant does come back. Have you felt that? Does it feel different to you broadcasting the game? Does it feel different that there's a certain, not pressure, but there's a different energy around the team than there had been previously? Yeah, I would delineate it in this way. Once the broadcast starts, it does not feel any different. You know, once we go on the air, it's business as usual. Uh, Producer Frank DeGrace, uh, who is extraordinary at his job and has been doing this for so long, he always treated these broadcasts like they were big. So even when the team was winning 12 games, we attacked it 
as if they were a contender. And that's just not lip service. That, that's, that's real. Uh, that was genuine in our desire to try to put the best product on the air. Around the broadcast, prior to the game, it is a different feeling. There are just more cameras. There are more reporters. There are more eyeballs. There are more people in and about the whole pregame routine of what you do. There's more interest. There's more buzz. Yes, it's tangible. I can feel that. It's definitely different than it was previously, certainly going back to the New Jersey days. Oftentimes the Nets were thought of as a afterthought in many ways. And I don't feel that way anymore. When I travel around the country doing other sports, working in the NFL, I've gotten more questions about the Nets in the last year than I may have gotten in my previous 25 years of working the broadcasts for this team. And that shows you, at least it shows me, that they have connected on a national scale and the curiosity level is much higher than it was. Now, with that comes expectations, comes a higher level of scrutiny for anyone that's involved with the team. Kenny Atkinson, Sean Marks, decision makers within the organization. But that's part of the deal. That's what the goal is. The goal is to be a factor. And clearly, when Kevin Durant comes back, that raises the stakes even more. And you can feel that building. But I think it was done in a way that they're ready for it because it wasn't sudden and it wasn't in one false swoop. It was incremental in how this has happened over the last three and a half years. I think you can at least look in the mirror if you're the individuals involved and say, all right, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm mentally ready for what comes with this next phase of the overall evolution. What is the question that most people do ask you about the Nets? I mean, I would guess, you know, what is Kyrie like? And if Kevin Durant's going to come back, do you know anything? But what is the question that most yeah. people are asking you? Ding, ding, <laughs> both, both yeah. of them. It's, it's so overwhelming in that whole angle and narrative because that's what's at the forefront. And I get it. Uh, it's a lot of questions about Kyrie Irving individually. It's been really interesting to see how all of this has developed from the day he signed to where we are today and the interest level that, that people have. I, I realize he gets a lot of clicks. There's a reason why not just local reporters write stories about Kyrie, but national media as well and television side, why he's the topic of morning debate shows. And then the Durant side of it, because there is mystery surrounding it, uh, people want to solve it. They want to solve the mystery. And the reality is oh, very different. You know, first on the Kyrie side, I really do think there's been uh, a strange false narrative that has been out there in regards to him. And, you know, maybe because he's been now at this for a while and he's achieved the ultimate success winning a championship and he's come to peace uh, with a lot of the things that may have bothered him early in his career. 
and he's at a stage of life where maybe he just doesn't care as much. I don't know, but I don't think he feels the need to answer all of these things on a day-to-day basis. And if he did, it would be very time-consuming and probably very unproductive. All my dealings with him on a personal level have been excellent. He's a really likable guy. He's a very smart guy. He's a very deep guy. And oftentimes uh, that's hard for some people to accept or understand. They want pat answers. They want the same old thing. It's, it's a really weird dynamic because I feel like with all the different outlets that we have now in the media, we want our athletes and our coaches to say something that's different, that's unique. But when they actually do, we chastise them for it because it doesn't fit the exact narrative that we often have visualized for what we think this situation calls for. And in Kyrie's case, I think he's fallen victim to that. He doesn't need me to defend him. He can certainly defend himself. But I found it very, very interesting on how all of this has transpired over the last five, six months from when he signed on. And then the Durant side of things, I mean, look, he's, he's coming along. Nobody really knows when he's going to come back. Uh, I, on a personal level, have not gotten to know him. He's not, he's not around in a way that I would know him. He's not on trips. Um, he's popping into the arena when he needs to. He's at the facility when he needs to be. I think he's been connected to the team, but he's not involved in the, the daily routine that comes with doing this job. What's been asked of him is to get better, to get to or, or the right place to where he's ready to perform. And if that place doesn't include the 2019-2020 season, Everybody seems to be okay with that, including him. But if there is a window where they believe enough progress has been made and he believes it, even though nothing's been said publicly on that front, of course they're going to investigate whether or not that's something that's realistic for him and uh, if it's best for him and his career at this stage. Yeah, and obviously I am not inside the rehab process, uh, but we have been getting, you know, we get these videos, we get these, and it's not videos released by the Nets, it's videos released by reporters taking videos yeah. of him at practice facilities, and you can see him. There was the video of him throwing a football. There's one of him making a move across the lane, a, you know, a basketball yeah. move. It, it is all very tantalizing, um, and you and I can tell from our side of it, and I don't know if you're feeling the same thing. More and more people are beginning are beginning to think a Durant playing this season is a possibility, but we just it's just not something that we know for sure because nothing has even been close to be hinting at that besides these little snippets on the internet. Yeah, and if you think about it from the team perspective, they've got to really view it from all angles. So if they're asked early in the process, do you expect Kevin Durant to be back? What rationally should the answer be? The answer should be, well, we're not really sure, but we're not planning on it. And that's basically the tack that the team has taken. Eventually, I think they had to make some other statements in regards to it that, hey, we're, this is not part of the plan. The plan is this season without Kevin Durant. And that's the right thing to do and the right thing to say for Durant's case so that he's not dealing with questions every single day about this and from a team standpoint when you're trying to build chemistry and to 
develop the proper dynamic to grow as a team, uh, to have this hovering at all times would really be the wrong way to go. So I've gotten it from day one, and I've understood why the team took the, the angle that they did. It was the right thing to do, and it's still the right thing to do. And if he does not play this season, it's not a lost season by any stretch. The goal was to get him in Brooklyn to be a contender, to have the rest of the league take notice that this franchise is on the brink of something, whatever that might be, and to get one of the best players that we've seen come through the NBA over the last 15 years onto the roster, into the culture, and to start developing something that they believe could lead to the ultimate prize, and that is going out and winning a championship. From a play-by-play man's perspective, the idea of Kyrie Irving, who even in limited action has produced an incredible, a prolific amount of highlights as a play-by-play guy, and Kevin Durant, who has been a machine throughout his career, uh, that's you know, that's what you hope for as a broadcaster to to chronicle the the events in front of you that include two really special and unique talents. The hope is uh, they create moments together. Yeah, and I can't shake. So uh, my podcast co-host Brian and I were at Game One of this season against the Timberwolves, which was. You know, Kyrie, I think he had 50 points. It was an Mm -hmm. overtime game. Incredibly exciting. Even throughout all of the negative headlines that you'll hear about Kyrie Irving, you know, whatever, however uh, true they may be, I can't shake seeing that on the floor and just thinking all of this is worth it. All of the attention, negative, whatever, is all worth it because you get to see, you know, D'Angelo Russell was a fun player to watch as well. And this is no slight D'Angelo, but... Kyrie is just this other level of ball handler, other level level of score that is just, it, it's so unique. It, it's why, frankly, why probably Kevin Durant is so drawn to him because Durant, before they teamed up, talked about so much about how much he appreciates Kyrie's game. Um, yep. It is, I mean, for you as a broadcaster, I mean, you've seen one of the greatest of all time and Jason Kidd do it, but Kyrie is this just unique talent that is is very rare that exists in the history of the NBA, really. Yeah, and... To, to think of it in, in the terms of, of how it affects our world individually, so me as a play-by-play announcer, it actually forces you to step up your game. And you think, well, really? Is that, is that possible? Yes, very possible. Because he might do something that you've never seen before. He might do it in a way that you've never described before. He might do it at a time that you were not anticipating it. So... You better be ready. You better be on your toes. You better be prepared mentally to call something that could go down as the highlight of the year. You've got a player that could produce the highlight of the season. And if you're looking down at your notes, if you're locked in on something else, if you're distracted by something, then it could pass you by and you haven't done your job well and you haven't captured the moment. So I look at it as this whole other chapter potentially as a play-by-play announcer, having done the NBA now in my 26th year, and you think, oh, well, you've seen everything. There's nothing that can happen that you haven't seen. No, I don't believe that. Certainly when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the floor together, there's a very good chance that they're going to do things that I've never seen before. 
and I better be ready to describe those things and convey the excitement and the uniqueness of the moment. And you have to do that while uh, a certain analyst may be sitting next to you who may say certain things that have never really been said by an analyst. I'm talking about Richard Jefferson, who (laughs) in his very short time as a uh, commentator for the Nets has said so many things that uh, he would be sent to the principal's office if there's a principal's office at Yes Network. What is it like doing a broadcast with Richard Jefferson where you may not exactly know where he's going to go next within his stream of consciousness analysis? Yeah, the thing that has been so fun about sitting alongside RJ is the unpredictable nature of it. And if you know him as a person, and I've gotten to know him through the years when he was a player and obviously now at a different level because of what the job calls for, he's who he is. He's not playing a part. He's not trying to shock everybody. These are things that he would say in his everyday life, and he just happens to have a headset on. And I, I find it very entertaining. I do think he's aware that there is a line, and you don't want to cross that line, and you don't want to tempt fate if it doesn't need to be tempted. You know, uh, I've said to him, it's really exciting to work with you because every time we go on the air, there's a chance that this could be your last broadcast. And that's very true. (laughs) Right, right up again. And I'm sure he appreciates that. Honestly, you know, yes, I think he does. I think he does. He, he likes to laugh. He uh, likes to push the envelope. The thing about it with RJ is he has very strong basketball insight. He's played against basically every guy that we're broadcasting. He has incredible instincts when it comes to analyzing the game. So, yeah, the one thing I've told him, and I I really mean it, is, look, you don't want to be known as the shock jock of basketball. That's not your goal, that every time you're on, someone expects you to say something shocking and different. You want to be you, and you includes a lot of different ways of viewing the game. And yes, there should be moments of levity. I, I agree in that wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm a huge proponent for the announcers enjoying themselves and laughing, but it should never be amateur hour at the Chuckle Hut. That's not why you're there. If you want to go be a comedian, then go tour the country, work the small clubs, and see if uh, people like your stuff. If you want to do basketball, we got to do basketball. But you could have a, a couple of of chuckles and laughs in there if it works, if it's if it's right for the moment. Uh, that that to me is is the goal. The goal is to be entertaining, to be informative, and to make the audience feel like they'd want to sit on the couch and and watch the game with the broadcasters that are currently on the air. Uh, The line should, should blur a bit and I'm cool with, with all that. And RJ knows I'm cool with all that, but I also am cool about being professional and treating the game with the respect that it deserves and not ever demeaning anybody on the air. That's not what it's about.
Right. And and I mean, it really, I know you probably hear this all the time, but the Yes broadcast is, I'm, I mean, you, you really said it before when the team, even when the team stunk, the broadcast was top notch. And that is, um, I had a moment, I actually went to the Wizards-Nets game. I was a me- media member in D.C. for Wizards-Nets, and I got to see Frank DeGrace. I think it was in the locker room. He, I don't know if this is a role that he normally does, but he had to be getting out memory cards after player interviews in the post-game locker room to get them <laughs> on the broadcast. Is that Would that be accurate if that was... Uh, he, that's very possible. He, he's a hands-on producer, there's no doubt. You know, this is, I think, a Saturday night game, and the intensity I saw in his eyes to get those... I don't know if they're memory cards. I mean, they're not physical VHS tapes anymore, but to, to get that onto the, the broadcast, it was, it was the game where Kyrie gets hurt, and we want to see yep. Kyrie talk, and it really shows for us viewers that you guys put out a product that really on all facets it tries to hit all those points you're talking about which is it's entertaining it's insightful and then it also you know has the sort of the fun element of you know we're brooklyn at and all the different fun elements that you guys bring to the game it really does show that you guys are bringing in on a top-notch broadcast yeah there's a a pride factor and thank you uh, for the kind words but there is a serious pride factor that goes into this and it's set up with not just Frank DeGrace but John Filippelli who is uh, in charge of our production at, at Yes and the higher ups that have you know, given us the tools to do this the right way John Littner the reality is um, it's Frank who really does set the tone and from there, he has been uh, very open to wherever a good idea comes from, he's cool with it. It doesn't have to be his idea. And that's a form of leadership that I find most effective, uh, that everybody feels empowered and everybody feels like they're part of it. And that's the way it should be. Uh, Dan Barr is new this year as our director. He's fit in perfectly uh, Ryan Rutherford, Ian Riley work the tape room and the graphics, and Michael Grady. It's been seamless in in his emergence with the broadcast with Sarah and uh, with Richard and in the studio, whether it's Bob Lorenz and Jim Spinarkle and Frank Isola and Chris Sheeran and Nancy Newman. You know, everybody wants to do well. And I know every broadcast entity should feel the same way that you're putting the best product out there but you can only judge it based on the expectations that you have for one another and i can tell you in complete sincerity that everybody involved truly is geared towards making this the best broadcast that they can possibly make and and that's that's really what it's all about the stage is set the lights are bright and the fighters are ready DraftKings Sportsbook is here to help you get in on all this weekend's title fight action DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook offers a full betting experience including pregame in-game and futures betting not only are there special odds for the fight happening in Las Vegas this weekend. Your New Jersey Devils are continuing to make a playoff push when they take on the Washington Capitals this Saturday. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Do not forget, enter code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So uh, we talk about coaching trees in football, basketball even. Talk about coaching trees, you know, the Bill Walsh coaching tree, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. But you have a broadcasting tree. It's a literal family tree. Um, Your son Noah is the radio announcer for the Clippers. How has that been to, you know, your son is now within your professional world. He is, you know, a a peer. Do you listen to his calls? Do you give him advice or are you hands off and letting him learn throughout it all for himself what exactly he may want to do? Well, the first part is it's been incredibly gratifying as a parent uh, beyond any kind of broadcast part of it, just to see your child doing well, enjoying what they do and excelling. Forget about the broadcast side, just in, in the day-to-day life, living on the West coast, picking up, moving your life and being on your own. That part, that to me is, is the part that that I feel most affected by, that he's doing well. The other part, the broadcast part, of course, yeah, I listen a lot and will give some tips here and there, but I don't inundate him. I'm not texting middle of the game with something that I heard. It's really more when the time is right, I'll share my thoughts. And not even the things that you may think, uh, more tone-based, uh, more things that I've heard that could become a habit that I might notice that someone else might not notice. The bottom line is, you know, Noah is a quick study. He developed his own style very quickly. Of course, I hear hints of myself when I'm listening to the game or certain vernacular that, that I've used through the years. And I've told him, by the way, that it's all his in perpetuity. He, whatever I've ever said, he can say, <laughs> and it's not a problem, but he's been around it his whole life, literally. So for him, all of this seemed very attainable. This was not something that, that was out of his reach. It was very much within his reach because this is all that he's known. But the broadcasting bond has been just a part of our relationship. It doesn't define our father-son dynamic, but it's always been a part of it because of his curiosity and asking questions. And when he truly started showing an interest at the age of 12 or 13, you know, I think he started watching games differently and listening to games differently uh, because in the back of his mind, he thought maybe this is something that I would do in my life. So to see it come uh, to this stage has been It's been astounding. Now, the story goes that, from what I was reading before, that it was you who did suggest the Clippers to contact Noah for their broadcast, radio broadcast team opening. Well, maybe at the time it was TV as well, because the Clippers were trying to poach you away from our beloved Yes Network (laughs) and the Nets. How true is is any of that? Uh, The first part, not true at all. 
the second part, I would say there is some truth to. Lawrence Frank had reached out to me going back to 2018 to see what my contract status was. And I had just signed a new three-year deal. And then uh, Lawrence asked me for a couple of names. I gave him three names of play-by-play people that I thought could step in and do the job and fit with what they were trying to do. And then at the end of the conversation, Noah at this point was just entering his senior year of college. Lawrence said, uh, oh, well, maybe I'll just shock everybody and uh, hire Noah Eagle and started laughing. And I laughed. And that was the end of it. We never discussed it again after that point. And I never even said a word to Noah about it. Like, you know, Lawrence was joking around. Fast forward uh, February of his senior year, someone within Syracuse University, Newhouse, the head of the Newhouse Sports Department, asked Noah to put together a audition reel, but she didn't tell him what it was for. Olivia Stomsky is her name. And he said, yeah, no problem. I can get you one in the next week. So he forwarded an audition reel to her with some play-by-play and some hosting. About two weeks later, she came back to him and said, hey, I've got a friend at Fox Sports West that I used to work with that asked me for the top students at Syracuse if I wouldn't mind putting together a reel. Do you have a problem with me passing it along to him? He said, no, I have no problem whatsoever. And then within two weeks of that, he got a phone call uh, asking him to fly out to California and audition for the television position with the Clippers. He did. He auditioned. He came back to Syracuse. He got another phone call to see if he had time to fly out to Seattle to meet with the owner, Steve Ballmer. He did. Flew out met with Steve Ballmer, flew back to Syracuse. This was in April and then graduated first week of May and got a phone call about six days after graduation that they'd like to offer him the Clipper radio job, which was never discussed. It was all uh, based on television. Brian Seaman, who had been doing the Clipper radio games for 12 years, got moved up to the TV job. And Noah had this incredible offer and accepted it and that's how it all happened. It's just got to be, I mean, my son is 20 months old. We went swimming in the pool today. Uh, we're at an indoor pool. And I was incredibly proud of him because he could kick his legs in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I imagine actually seeing your son get a job of this level uh, must be a, a different feeling. Probably sort of the same in the way. You know, it's you're both very proud, but... It's got to be amazing that your son was able to land, you know, such a great job. And he's doing a great job. I have a few friends who are Clipper media members, and they only just talk about tremendous things about him overall. So it's just got to be for you yourself, like, just an amazing sort of feeling that he's where he's at now. Obviously, you know, it's all up to him to continue to do the work, but it must feel great. Well, in 2040, when I'm on your son's podcast, (laughs) we'll compare notes. That's, That's when... That's when it will come full circle, and then you and I will be able to sit back and and really uh, be able to relate to one another. Yeah, everything you said is 100% true, and look, the reality, as we know in this business, it's a performance-based business. If you're not good, you will be exposed. If uh, 
people don't like your work, eventually they will replace you with somebody whose work the people will like. It's a pretty straightforward setup. And Noah went into this eyes wide open as to how all of this works, how you have to build credibility, and it doesn't happen overnight. He's been really focused in doing it the right way. And I think more than anything else, and this is more about upbringing and uh, my wife, Elisa, who is a terrific mom, and my daughter, Erin, who is a terrific sister to Noah, treating people the right way and navigating through these situations when you're fresh out of college. There's no course in college that teaches you how to do that. You've got to figure it out. You can get advice. You can get feedback. You can get input. But it has to come from you. And if ultimately uh, you handle things the right way and you're not a prick, then uh, usually good things can happen, uh, to put it bluntly. All right. Well, in 2040, we will talk again. I, uh, <laughs> we'll, again, we'll compare notes. And, and it could be a swimming podcast. You have no idea. This whole swimming thing <laughs> could plant a seed this where this is his passion. And he just has different people on his podcast to talk about their first experience as a swimmer. It would be one of the more interesting podcasts because uh, swimmers, you have to be a deep thinker to be a swimmer. You do. You are basically by yourself for hours and hours in the pool. Um, deep thinking in the deep part of the pool. I mean, I've already, <laughs> oh, I already see the visions of this. <laughs> All right. I, and uh, we can, of course, catch you on Yes Network. We will continue to watch about 30 games left in the season and then hopefully playoffs. A lot uh, to watch going forward, as well as potentially Kevin Durant coming back. So uh, thank you for joining us here on The Glue Guys. Yeah, anytime. Great talking to you.